G'day, Oshie here. Thank you for listening to the show. Grateful you can be here. Chris Cooper's on the show today. Uh, we're going to talk all about how beautiful social media, the one with the likes and the retweets and all that, is destroying democracy. Oh, it's a lighthearted conversation I can't wait to get to. Now, this conversation is brought to you in no small part by the hard work of Rachel Barrett and Andy Ma, my executive producer and my audio producer, and uh, they deserve to be paid. So if you hear an ad, thank you. You're helping me pay them. If you don't hear an ad, you're going to hear Chris Cooper say something awesome. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We created a false profile. And so what we did was able to target 13 to 17-year-olds based off interests, including alcohol, gambling, smoking, extreme weight loss. We were able to upload ads that were completely age-inappropriate, targeting 13-year-old girls interested in extreme weight loss with ads, pictures of women in bikinis saying, are you summer ready? Completely inappropriate. And that was approved. The only ads that were not approved were the ones that had cigarettes in them because the smoking advertising laws are quite strict. But we still got around that by replacing cigarettes with e-cigarettes. This is the unregulated wild west that this whole space is. Put some fucking rules around that in order to make sure that people selling shoes can still target their customers, but this shit can't go on. That is the executive director of Reset Australia, and this is episode 386 of Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of the show. I'm Osha Ginsberg. If you've never listened to the show before, I'm a TV host. I'm a radio. Well, I used to be a radio guy. I'm a TV host. I'm an, I'm an author. Uh, I'm a podcaster. I'm a motorbike, charity motorbike ride rider. And um, here twice a week, been here twice a week since 2013. And this podcast is just here to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something you hear on this show today will guarantee to make your day a little bit better. Mondays, I'm here with a guest. Fridays, I'm here with you. And it's real easy to get in touch with me. Send Osher email at gmail.com. Thanks for all the feedback that you, lovely feedback you gave to me about Friday's show, which is all about phone use. In particular, thanks to the mate who reached out and said, hey, uh, I seem to uh, recognize a few things there. You may want to come to one of these little uh, online meetings that I have about using your phone responsibly. <laughs> so I'm really stoked. Um, internetaddictsanonymous.org. I guess I'm not anonymous if I tell you I might be going. I'm just saying a website out loud. Don't break your anonymity. <laughs> um, thank you very much person who wrote that to me, whose name I won't reveal. Um, yeah. So that's just a follow up there after the Friday show. So yeah, if you enjoy the show, this show does bring you value. Please tell a friend, just tell someone about this podcast and that would be really the very best thing you can do for me. I mean, you could subscribe on Twitch or you could send me money on Patreon, but just telling someone else about this show is the, is the main thing you can do. That'd be really, really cool. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, and a big hey to everybody that I, I saw today at the Oh, yesterday, by the time you hear this, at the um, Distinguished Gentleman's Motorbike Ride. That was super cool. I really enjoyed doing that. It was great to see so many cool people and have some, you know, really meaningful conversations about the importance of uh, talking openly and frankly about your mental health. 
So let me tell you about my guest today. Chris Cooper is the Executive Director of Reset Australia. You can find out more about their work at au.reset.tech, au.reset.tech. Now, what are they? They are they are part of a, a global initiative, I guess you'd call it, and they're working to counter digital threats to democracy, which we have seen quite glaringly in the past few years. Uh, they work exclusively in Australia on public policy advocacy, on research, on civic engagement, to indeed to protect our democracy and strengthen our democracy. It's important to realise that the business models of the big tech companies, and we do go into this, and big tech, I'm talking about people that collect our data, social media platforms, and online media, news outlets, etc. Their business model is to expose the public to unprecedented levels of hate speech, disinformation, and polarization, because they make money. The more angry, the more upset, the more we click, they make money. Now, what happens is this, this distortion of reality, it poisons what's happening in public. It poisons debate, and it weakens the integrity of our ability to govern ourselves. I know it's a big thing to say, it's a big call, but I believe it, and that's why I'm having Chris on the show today. It's really important that we hold these companies accountable. We reset the rules and standards as to how these companies operate, uh, the products and the services that are out in our community being used by kids and, you know, adults and people who vote. It's important that we have these things really, really locked down and regulated like anything else, like the motorcycle I ride, you know, the helmet I wear. It's important that these things pass a rigorous set of safety standards before they're able to be sold. The same can't be said for a lot of these online platforms. We have to raise awareness across our society about the problems that big tech have. Big tech, really, I mean, that's brought my life a lot. We're not talking to each other over a podcast without big tech, all right? So there's a lot to be gained, okay? But we have to. We have to advocate for better policy, and we have to address the digital threats to Australian democracy, which are real and which aim to affect every single person in this country. You can find out more about what they're doing, au.reset.tech. It's a chirpy conversation. I promise there's some laughs. Uh, you can find him on uh, Twitter if you like. Uh, he's Cooper underscore CN. Enjoy this very important conversation with Chris Cooper. Hello, mate. Good to see you. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate yeah. it. Sorry, I'm just... Um, Reading my morning dose of reactionary Fairfax media. <laughs> How dare they want to put a cycle ramp at the north end of the Harbour Bridge and disrupt our suburb? No, that's fine. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why you do it to yourself. I just, I just block that stuff out. Don't yeah, we'll for- we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Trust me, we'll get there. How are you this morning, Chris? Yeah, good, man. Good. Busy as heck. But this is a nice thing to kind of just have a chat, right? It's a bit of a change up for the usual. So I'm grateful that we're able to speak today. Where are you uh, located geographically right now? So like, I'm based in Sydney, but mm-hmm. I actually live in, a, in Helensburg, which is like just south of Sydney. It's like an hour on the train out, which is nice because it means I'm surrounded by a national park and near the beach. And rent that's affordable yes uh yeah well we could talk about social policies as far as housing is concerned (laughs) the sustainability of the current property market and uh economic impact of workers being unable to afford to live anywhere near where they work but that's not what we're here to do today (laughs) chris you work with reset australia what how would you describe your job there what do you do there so I'm executive director, and what we do is look at the harms caused by unregulated big tech, which is, you know, a fancy way of saying that, you know, the, the relationship we have with technology has kind of been always on this balance where it's been net positive. It's awesome. It makes our lives easier, more convenient, and that's all still true. But there's this increasing kind of list of harms stacking up on the other side of that. And we look really at the, the policy responses that are needed to rebalance that. But it's more complex than that, right? You have to consider the human and agency in that as well. But we take a kind of view through the lens of democracy because it's the system and it enables us to speak to both like individual harms and kind of systemic harms. So to just kind of frame the conversation a little, we are broadly speaking, we can get into nuanced bits later on, but we're broadly speaking about the 
unregulated effects of massive not only data collection, but also control of content that we see through initially, I guess it started as our social media platforms, and now it's moving more and more into uh, the news that we digest and that we are no longer really seeing a true picture of the world. We're no longer reacting as humans. We are more reacting to algorithmically generated things that make us either outraged or just generally outraged. Is that about right? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, you kind of wove together, I think, the key pieces, which are data extraction um, and the surveillance that comes with that. And then, yeah, like the curation of all of our content. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think the tricky bit in that is the way that we as people perceive social media and our social media feeds and the internet. We perceive our news feed largely as like, oh, this is what everybody sees. And so this is what everybody else is consuming as well. And it could not be further from the truth. And uh, yeah, so it has all these, causes all sorts of trouble when we, when we look at it like that. At the beginning of this conversation, I think it's also important to talk about it's as terrifying as this is. This is why I've got you on the show today because this shit fucking frightens me and it should. And I'm not being paranoid. I'm not seeing shapes in the clouds. Like this is like legitimately has been proven to cause people to die. It's fucked up. I've, I've heard it described by a professor who works in uh, CCTV AI, basically human recognition in AI. And I asked him, you know, is, this is a bit creepy and stuff. He goes, well, it's a tool. Now, there's a tool called a hammer. And we, as a society, have had a conversation about what it's okay for us to use a hammer for. Anyone can walk into any shop at any age and buy a hammer. And we are of an agreement as a community that that hammer will be used for nails and nails only, right? It's a murder weapon. But we, as a community, have gone, no, that is the only thing we're going to use this thing for. And we've, we've had that chat. We have not had that chat about what we're doing here in this kind of wildly fucking super highway speeds of development of our community, of our democracy. We haven't had that conversation yet. And unfortunately, also, that conversation is being steered by Big Hammer. So it's, it's, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it, it's an incredibly fucking useful tool and the possibility to, to transform humanity yet we really need to talk about how we're using it. Yeah, 100%. It nails it. And I think that... Um, Nicely nailed it, eh? Boom, boom. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so good. I, I, and I think that, like, reference to Big Hammer is both hilarious because I wish there was some sort of Big Hammer lobby. But that is that is the other side to it. It's like we haven't had the conversation and because we haven't had it, the narrative is totally dominated by the most powerful lobbying force that we've ever seen. And I mean lobbying both in terms of their influence on politics, but also their influence of us. They control what we see. And, you know, we, we've seen recently here in Australia where they can push, you know, pop-ups into the lives of anyone using Chrome, Google Search, YouTube, like Google did this. That's, for all intents and purposes, all of Australia like any industry before that's that's been regulated has never had that kind of reach or power. Hang on, can you explain what did Google do? So this was the, the news media bargaining code, which which got exciting, right? When Facebook pulled news and shut down half the, you know. So Google's response to that was to force these pop-ups into anyone who was using Chrome, YouTube, or Google Search to, to sort of, in my view, misguide the Australian public and say, the government's trying to change the way that YouTube works and it's trying to ruin the internet. That was kind of the message they were sending. And they can reach everyone in Australia. They have better reach than the government does. That's an incredible amount of power. And they were doing that in response to a pretty reasonable set of new regulation from the government. Like, that should be a red flag and it should be scary, as should Facebook's total, like, clusterfuck of a response where they shut down half of civil society's ability to operate. Um, it's like, yeah, these guys have serious power and we're very reliant on them and uh, we should be we should be worried about it. This is the, the tricky part because we have found ourselves in this really weird codependent relationship 
quite an abusive relationship where we have allowed so much of our community to rely on these companies that are based in America, in Silicon Valley. Mm, they have a really weird libertarian bent <laughs> kind of built into their coding in some cases. And it's not like in the 80s, we're asking telecom to change the way that they work because telecom was a government-owned thing and it was a way that we all communicated. No, this is a private company, uh, sorry, publicly traded companies, and they're in another country, but we have allowed ourselves to use their products to the point where our modern economy cannot function without them. So it's, we're kind of, this is really weird place. Like it, in negotiating school, they say we have no leverage. Yeah, uh, we've, we've just sort of sleptwalked into this, right? Because they do provide good things as well. Like, I think it's good, important to recognize both of that. Like, I love my Google products, right? Like, without Maps, I'd be fucking lost all the time, quite literally. And they, they make great things and they make our lives easier. And so because of that, we've allowed them to set the rules and allowed them to operate in an unregulated way without the guardrails that every other industry has. And I think, you know, every industry that's ever sprung into existence follows the same pathway right where it's it's an incredible boom you know whether it's the automobile industry or oil whatever it was there was this incredible boom everyone was really excited by it and then we realized at some time that oh hold on there's a series of environmental or social harms that come from this industry operating without any guardrails and so then we introduced regulation that or you know new rules that make sure that it doesn't cause harm but that it can still thrive and that's what has happened to every industry. We don't kill the industry. We want the industry to survive. We just don't want it to cause harm. And that's just the point we're at now. The difference is just that we are, as you put it, like totally codependent on these devices. So it's a little bit trickier. It, and the automobile industry is a really interesting uh, analog to what we're talking about in that there was no automobile industry. Cities were designed around pedestrian activity. And then suddenly this machine arrives that makes life incredibly convenient, makes food supply really good, makes an op opportunity to, you know, for remote people to get help. It's an incredible invention. And suddenly the actual very design of our cities is now governed by, again, a company from another part of the world or in a, the design of a machine. We're suddenly designing the cities and designing the way we live because of this machine. And now we're putting roads in and all these kind of other things and, and infrastructure is built around it. And then, oh, hang on, people are dying. Whoa, hang on, how do we sort that out? No, 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 don't stop making cars. We like cars, but how do we stop people from getting killed using them? <laughs> and I really do get the feeling that we are, you know, and it's been said before, we're in the, there's no speed limit or seatbelts, but how great are cars era of social media. What are the things that particularly, let's start with data collection. I know it's, we've kind of been spooked about it a bit, but what are the things we need to kind of be aware of around data collection? Okay, the first piece is that these companies track and surveil you across most of the internet. Like probably 90% of the websites that you go to have trackers built in. And this is evolving a little bit, but they surveil you constantly. And that's, I think that's the first bit. I think it's something that some people are uncomfortable with most people are happy with the trade-off here to say that like, I'm okay with the surveillance because I get curated ads. I get the ads that mean something to me that I want, um, which I would challenge anyway, because you get the ads that advertisers want you to want. But anyway, that's a side point. So it's, it's the deep surveillance, which I think is the first piece. I mean, we should feel icky about it because it is icky, but it's particularly uncomfortable when you think about the way that that's used, which is to create these profiles of you based off things that are of interest to you, that are your vices, your vulnerabilities. And these are incredibly accurate. They're deeply intimate profiles of you. They know, like the Cambridge Analytica scandal, the way that Cambridge Analytica advertised its services was by showing that with about 100 data points around what you've engaged with on Facebook, it can build a personality profile that's about as good as and knows you as about as good as your spouse or your partner, which sounds absurd. But when you start to look at the way that they surveil you, what they do know about you, and also how we surf the internet and how we cruise through, which is pretty uninhibited because it's sort of private, you know, right? You can kind of scroll and search for whatever you want to search for. But every bit of that is collected. Like 
if you go to Google search and type in something and then go like, oh, actually, no, I don't want to, I don't want to search that. And you delete it. That's still recorded. <laughs> they still know what you're thinking about in that way. It's incredibly intimate. And that's, I guess, like the start point. That's what, if we want to change the way that this system works, we want to rein in the business model. Like it's got to start with like that data bit because that's uncomfortable, right? Well, I think the, the why that sort of stuff is scary is because like every single one of those data points and those profiles they build about you, me, everyone listening to this is that they are then more than happy, they, Facebook, Google, Twitter, more than happy to sell those data points or a simulacrum of what you're into, what I'm into, what other people are into to an advertiser to go, oh, no, 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 if you want to advertise a protein shaker, uh, springy things, you've lost your protein shaker, springy thing. If you want to advertise them, I know exactly the kind of guy. In fact, I know where he lives and I'll, you can pay me for it. Now, that's a fairly benign thing, the protein shaker, springy thing, but it could yeah. be, you know, you've been pushed ads for... I don't know, let's say right now you've been clicking like on uh, Australia's banning flights from India and clicking like on keep them out, keep them out. It's like, oh, you know what? Here's a particular group who are into, you know, there's a Reclaim Australia rally. Let's target all the people that liked the uh, news article about close the borders to India, don't, don't have any people come in. Brilliant. And then suddenly you're mobilizing and these people are more than happy to take the money. If it's marketed under a benign kind of, you know, we're just a, you know, group of concerned citizens trying to have a barbecue, you know, <laughs> and, but suddenly you're able to instantly connect with squillions of people who are on the cusp of, if not have already been radicalized. And that's the shit scary part about it for me. Yeah. And we've got to hold both those things down at the same time, right? Like on one side, totally benign and it's good. I mean, it's like targeted granular advertising in some ways is a real advancement in terms of. You might know who the magazine gets read by, but that's, or, you know, or who's watching that show on uh, at that time. And that's sort of the best targeting you can do. Like th- there's a good piece to that, that like connects people better, connects like businesses better with, with their potential customers, like totally. But we, we can hold that in our heads as well as the other bit, which is like what you're getting to is the recruitment ground that Facebook and YouTube have become for extremism of all sorts is a whole other dimension to this that, that I think is totally worth talking about. And it's all fueled by the collection of data and those advertising models. As an example, last week we had a report come out that showed the kind of targeting that Facebook allows you to do around teenagers. And it's hectic. It was, we were able to, and we didn't publish any of these ads. We just submitted them to Facebook's ad platform to get approved. And almost all of them were approved. We just didn't hit publish. And you'll know why we didn't hit publish in a second. So hang on. So you you did it as, as Reset Australia, or did you create a false profile? We created a false profile, and so <laughs> and so what we did was able to target thirteen to seventeen year olds based off interests, including alcohol, gambling, smoking, extreme weight loss, based off their interest in online dating services. But to look at it to go further, I mean, we should ask the question: Are we comfortable with thirteen year olds? being surveilled and then having their data collected into these profiles and then sold to advertisers in in the first place. That's not okay, I don't think, in anyone's book. But the next part of it was that we were like, well, what kind of content controls do they have on this? And so we were able to upload ads that were completely age-inappropriate, things like targeting 13-year-old girls who were interested in extreme weight loss with ads of pictures of women in bikinis saying, are you summer ready? Completely inappropriate. And that was approved. The only ads that were not approved were the ones that had cigarettes in them because the smoking advertising laws are quite strict. But we still got around that by replacing cigarettes with e-cigarettes. Like, this is the unregulated Wild West that this whole space is. And, you, I mean, it's pretty, very easy. Put some fucking rules around that and some regulations in order to make sure that people selling shoes can still target their customers, but this shit can't go on. Because we have, as a community, we've had the conversation. We've had the hammer conversation about cigarette advertising to kids. And adults even, like, you can't even see a cigarette when you walk into the store. They're all behind a, a locked thing, so you can't actually visually see them. So we've had that conversation around cigarettes as a community, and it looks like this uh, particular advertising platform, Facebook, has gone, yep, okay, we're cool with that. But you going, I don't know, swap out cigarettes for a vape pen, and yeah, no worries, you can advertise that to 13-year-old girls interested in extreme weight loss. I mean, fucking hell, man. They would have taken the money. Yeah. 
it's an insanely profitable model. <laughs> that's not okay. That's 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 not okay. Yeah, and I think the real like nasty side of all of this is that this is going down the rabbit hole a little bit. But the relationship that we have with Facebook, as an example, is one of user beware. It's kind of like you see fucked up shit on our platform, report it, and we'll take care of it. But so the first thing in there is that like they will make the profit first and then rely on you to catch the harm. But even this relationship we tested last year on a different experiment where we put up, this was in like March, April, like the beginning of COVID. And so we put up ads that were COVID misinformation. So I was telling people to go spend time in the sun and you'll, you won't get COVID. It was dog whistle racism. It was voter suppression and it was 5G conspiracy, all things that breach Facebook's own community guidelines. But this time we we wanted to go further and see how far we could get the ads. Didn't want to push them to the public. So we recruited a hundred of our supporters to consent to being served these ads. We uploaded their emails into Facebook as a custom audience, which is what you can do. Businesses do it all the time so they can advertise to their own customers through Facebook. And then we served these ads to our supporters and we did it for two months. Our supporters not only screenshotted the ad to show us that it had been delivered to them, but then also flagged it as misleading and harmful or whatever it might be. And for two months, they never had any response from Facebook. We were never contacted by Facebook to say, hey, dozens of the people who are getting your ads are flagging them as inappropriate. The only reason they were taken down in the end was because we contacted a journalist who then called Facebook for comment, and that was the day the ads were taken down. And then about a week later, we did get a call from Facebook, but it was from their ads team asking if we wanted to undertake a free training to improve the efficacy of our ads. That's the Wild West, right? That's like no responsibility, no accountability. And the last bit to this story is that the experiment we ran more recently around targeting teenagers, we used the exact same page, fake account that we'd set up last year to do it. And we thought that was like a a bit of a risk. We're like, oh, surely they've flagged this and they're not going to let us do it. But this is how little effort they're putting in to making sure that their platforms aren't used for harmful practices or by malicious actors or whatever. It's hectic. And as someone who's been working in legacy broadcasting my whole career, the amount of training that I had to do to get on commercial radio, the amount of training and stops that there are in play between what I say out of my mouth and something being broadcast on television, it's bananas, all right? And it's because these convers, we've had that hammer conversation about We've had it around what we write in the press. You know, we've had that conversation. There's so many things I cannot say on radio to defame someone. There's things I cannot say, claims I cannot make on radio live. There's claims I cannot make on television. There's things I cannot speak on television. And that for all very good reasons. And there's laws around all this because we as a community had that conversation going, hang on a second, it's not okay for people to go on TV and start spreading this bullshit because we've seen that we had a problem. Uh, when all the printing presses and everything first started or radio first started and HD Wells were all the worlds made people panic or whatever. So we need to be careful about what we say and how we frame things. It's not news, it's this. But this stuff reaches more people than radio or television or press, operates live just as radio and TV does sometimes, not regulated. You know, I understand. I'm not trying to say it from a point of view. It was like my industry is being sucked dry by streaming media that's fine. I'm making streaming media right now. I get it. I'm on the move myself. It's fine. I get it. That's where we're going. But we have these conversations about what it's okay and not okay to speak to a gigantic audience unfiltered. It boggles my mind that someone who's operating on the same playing field, and I don't care what they say, it's the same playing field as radio, television, and print, is not held to the same standard. Yeah. Boggles my mind. Yeah. And like their reach is bigger. Yeah. arguably depending and also it's it's the personalized nature of it that makes it even worse right like mm. like the design of the platforms is to serve you this content in amongst images of your family and your friends to sort of like switch off that prefrontal cortex to just kind of put you into scroll mode which we all know right you end up in that sort of semi-mindless scroll when you're just absorbing this stuff Mm. and it's designed that way because it keeps you hooked and engaged and scrolling late at night 
We did touch on a little bit, but when did you first go, oh, hang on, this is more than advertising either, you know, dog whistle racism or e-cigarettes to teenagers. This is like the entire fabric of our democracy being threatened. When did that first really show up to you? When did you first see that? I, I wear two hats. I, I work as executive director of Reset Australia, and I'm also senior campaign director at a social impact agency called Purpose. And before Reset came about, through my work at Purpose, we were doing a, a job which was looking at the way that uh, hate speech and misinformation was spreading in, in Myanmar around the Rohingya. And so this was kind of happening at the same time that the New York Times was kind of just really giving them grief. They had like, a, you know, one story every few weeks and was just showing that like Facebook is complicit and totally enabled this genocide. And so we were looking at, we wanted to have it see how the platform was weaponized and how that hate speech spread and what we sort of found was we could identify the military individuals who, who, who were generating this content. And then we were able to see the way that it was spreading and it was being picked up by some of the monks who had more trust and respect from the public. And that's where it was kind of going, spreading like wildfire. And, and obviously a part of that is, you know, part of a human problem of, of hatred, which is um, embedded in, in a long history of hatred and there's human solutions to that. But what Facebook enabled was the amplification of that and just the unchecked amplification of it, um, whether it was false, whether it was hateful, whatever. And it was through doing that project that I re really realized, I was like, this is a real problem. This is completely distorting the information ecosystem on which our democracy is predicated. It's totally shifting the public square that we think still exists, which is one where freedom of speech is really important and bad ideas can get voiced and then they get checked and challenged. And then as a community, we sort of go through the messy process of democracy, which is debating around that shared set of facts. And what we're seeing was that was not happening because it was all individualized. It was essentially multiple public squares where you're in your own kind of bubble and there was no checks and balances because everyone believed the same thing in your bubble. So it was just really absolutely going, going nuts so I think it was that mixed with like US 2016 election, mixed with Brexit, where you saw these platforms weaponized, but also that it wasn't just bad actors who were, who were weaponizing. It was implicit in the design of the platforms. And so that was, I don't know, maybe 2018 when this penny kind of started to drop. Have we seen this sort of thing happen in Australia? Have we seen democratic processes being fiddled with in Australia using these techniques? Certainly not to the same extent. I think that there's a bunch of really awesome, very intelligent analysts around the country and in different institutions who are doing work around coordinated disinformation, which we see less of that happening as foreign interference, but certainly it's very present here. And some of the easy telltales of that uh, we see through Twitter. Twitter provides the highest level of access to researchers and analysts to kind of understand what's happening on the platform. It's a level of access that is nowhere near what Facebook and YouTube provide. And what you see on Twitter all the time is a lot of bot behavior. So in Victoria, around the lockdowns, we've, we've done some research that showed, and actually it's been reported on separately as well, around the level of bots that were feeding the dictator Dan and I stand with Dan hashtags, which just shows that the debate that was happening on Twitter was not a, an authentic debate. It was being influenced and shaped by bots, by a, a large number of bots. The same thing with the bushfires last year was that we saw that there was a huge number of bots influencing that and pushing the arsonist narrative to try and get it further. I mean, that stuff shifts politics, it shifts perspectives. So it's absolutely happening here. I think that we need to do a lot more work to better understand who's behind it. I mean, there's a, there's a good bunch of theories behind that. And I think some of it is quite clear. There's at least political affiliations through some of that. But, um, you know, I don't think we know yet really who's behind it. Wait, 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 wait. So we talked about foreign interference. We talked about, you know, playing both dictator Dan and I stand with Dan. That's a pretty classic maneuver, like embedding in both sides creating two sides when there was no side, creating two sides and then setting those two sides up to fight because while everyone's too busy fighting, you can carry on with some nefarious shit in the background. That's as old school as it gets. I personally think I love Twitter for 
Bachelor-related live streaming conversations. I think that's fantastic. Having a live conversation on Twitter is really, really fun. However, I've taken it off my phone. I rarely check it at all. I find Twitter to be pretty much like a text-based first-person shooter. People just roam around looking to get headshots, and sometimes they'll even scroll back nine years to get that headshot and then retweet a screenshot or retweet something going, ha-ha, I fucking got the kill shot. I got someone. You studied as a, a cultural anthropologist, and this is what I'm kind of uh, fascinated in. The very nature of the way the platform is designed to reward engagement has changed the way that we engage with each other, intelligent people who probably have a lot of empathy, you know, they see a wounded animal on the side of the road, they'll probably stop, pick it up, you know, call wires and, you know, there's a wombat that's been hit. Yet, when they get home, them and their little jet ski avatar will accuse me of, or someone, of being something that I'm not, you know. That the nature of the platform itself has changed the way that we speak to each other. And I think that then echoes out beyond the platform, which you talked about democratic debate and things being in the public square. When was the last time you watched a televised debate and you heard someone go, you know what, Chris, that's a really good point. I should probably do some more policy research on that. My party really still feels that this is the best way forward, but maybe you've got something there. Like, when was the last time we fucking heard that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, exactly right. So like those, you know, and even for like those who, those of us who really hate Twitter, I mean, you know, I feel the pressure and I'm told that I should build my Twitter following, but the problem with it is that I've got to spend time on the platform to do that. And I just fucking hate it. Like there's, there's, a, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure. But like the vitro on it, I just, I just don't have time for it to be honest. But it's even for those of us who dislike it, of course, like retweets and likes, it feels good, right? Like that's what it's tapping into. It's tapping into that part of us that wants that confirmation and you know on one part on one level there's nothing wrong with that like you know twitter has been used for good but it's just tapping into the worst side of us and it rewards that so much that that's what people end up hunting i think rather than debate which also i think twitter's not good at that because the amount of times i see it's just like you just misinterpreted what they said because they didn't have enough characters to really flesh it out for you I think that's another problem for it. And at the end of the day, it's like we don't have the interface that we need to build empathy with people on the, on the platform, which is usually the way we've, we've evolved is through like eye contact and face-to-face communication. And that, that, that's where you learn the, the nuances of someone's position because you understand, you, you see their body language and you see, you hear their tone of voice and all of these things that are critical to building relationships, all of that's cut off and all you get is is text. So I don't think we really think about the person on the other side at all because they're not present there. It's the jet ski and some hate. You know, like in your work as a as a cultural anthropologist, tell me about what happens. Like because when we're in public, say for example it's election day, we've probably usually made up our mind before we even smell the sausages. All right. But say it's election day and you're standing there and someone asks you about this, I don't know, let's say they're talking about negative gearing or franking credits, like something that's, you know, financial. All right. You're not about to say, fuck you, boomer, to someone's face. You're not. And even if you did, you'd see their face change and you might, you'd probably feel something inside you. You'd probably feel a weird feeling. Oh, I've just hurt somebody. Oh, Oh, no, I didn't. I'm oh, sorry. I'm, look, I'm sure this is really important to you, and I, I get it. I get you're trying to protect your retirement, but, you know, it makes it really hard for someone like me to enter the housing market. You, you miss that initial effect of what you've done. Like, you see in those microseconds in someone's facial expressions, oh, shit, I've, I've said something really hurtful here. Oh, no. Yeah. We miss that. Yeah, like, think about it for, for young people, right, for kids. Like, I mean, we all have experienced bullying, whether we've been – a perpetrator or a witness or a victim through school, right? We've all had different experiences for that, but you learn that like, oh, I said that and that really hurt that person. And even if you got sucked into doing the bullying yourself and you've said something that hurt someone, like it resonates with you, it sticks with you and you learn from that. And like, you just don't have any of that on social media. So like this problem is bad for adults, but I think it's way worse for young people. I mean, thank fuck there was no Facebook when I was in high school. It was hard enough as it was. But I can't imagine what young people are going through now. We see those stories of like the worst kind of bullying. Because again, all that behavior is rewarded. There's a bunch of studies that show that just that like gratification culture 
it reinforces these awful behaviors and we're, we're losing the fundamentals of human connection and empathy which make for a functioning society so that we can respectfully disagree and have a conversation like that is the process of democracy we see it all the time in the news about people who racked up you know forty six thousand dollars of debt at the poker machine down the club and someone who you know i saw one the other day where a bloke a woman in his office defrauded him of millions of dollars and she blew it all in one particular rsl and he went to that rsl and it's like she's just been convicted of defrauding me I've got proof that she went and most of that money ended up in your poker machines. I'd like it back, please. And they went, no. But we are really aware of the effect that poker machines and the addictive nature of poker machines have on us as a human. How different are the apps that we use every day, even apps that kids use? How different are they in the way of variable rewards and you know the idea of, oh, I'll take a chance on that. How different are they from poker machines, which we have had the hammer conversation about. It's like this level, we haven't really had it as much as we should, uh, but we're yeah. like, yeah, poker machines aren't great. We're aware of that. How different are they to the apps that adults use, that teenagers use, that kids use? Totally. Like the, the number of developers from these companies that have called that out explicitly that they use those same techniques you know it's it's things like that sort of randomized reward where it keeps you constantly sort of peeking looking for that next reward whether it's going to be the funny meme or whatever it is it's the same thing that our brains do on the pokies and the platforms themselves the devices are all designed to keep you on them for longer and so I mean, let the developers speak for themselves. They've called this out explicitly. That like, yeah, that's exactly where we learned a lot of what, what the design features are. And I think this is where I think the most progressive set of rules and regulations are coming from. It's saying we need to move past the content moderation piece. That's important. But actually, we need to talk about the design features. What's appropriate for someone who's under 18? What's appropriate for, for a child in terms of the way that these devices and these platforms are designed? Like that's really where we need to get to, I think. There's a young person that I know who I was watching and he was on TikTok. And I said, oh, you like that? And he just looked up at me and he said, I can't get bored of it. And you look back at his phone. And that terrified me <laughs> because I'm like, wow, they, have, they know him so well that he never, ever gets bored looking at this thing. It just serves him 15-second hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. I can't get bored of it. Yeah. He said it so matter-of-factly, it chilled me to the bone. We're getting like, oh, cat, oh, jet ski, oh, interesting wakeboard trick, oh, MMA knockout, bang, 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 bang. Within a minute, we've seen six things. That's what the viewer gets. What does the company get out of that interaction? I mean, they get, so every interaction, right, every, every pause you make to watch a video or to pause on that newsfeed is, is insights, right? Into like, oh, this is capturing your attention. Oh, like you like the wakeboarding. All right, cool. Or you like any number of features that's, that's in that bit of content, right? Like all of that is, is insights that it's gathering. I think the question around TikTok, and this is um, something that's, that is being talked more and more about, is that they use a lot of that data, particularly because it's people, you know, it's designed as kind of like tell your story. It's a lot of face to camera. It's a lot of just facial, it's just like feeding facial recognition AI, you know, in China. And that's what it's designed to do in the same way that that kind of that aging app that was big for I don't know, a flash of a moment. It was that one where an early version of it where you could take a photo of it and it would age you down to a child or down to it. And it turned out that it was a, the Russian government had backed it because they were using the data from it to feed its it's facial recognition software. Like some of that is proven and certainly being talked about in a, in a way that I, I feel comfortable talking about it. And it's not to say that all of it is that, but it does tell the story well of like your attention and what you think you're getting from it is obscuring the other side of that, which is so much more. And that's being used to create immense amounts of wealth, uh, which is then fueling a machine which has all these harms. And so we need more conscious consumption. I'm definitely not going to tell young people to use TikTok less, but I would say that like we should have a rethink about the relationship we have with these platforms. Are you saying that while this young man is watching TikTok, TikTok is watching his face and reading his reactions to every video he sees? I think it's more that the videos that he will post. So I think it's more from the video content. I don't know that they're doing that. But, you know, I mean, like, this is the surveillance capitalism piece of this, right, which is 
like one of our team recently bought a new TV, a new Samsung TV. And because of the work we do, he's like, I'm going to read the privacy terms and conditions on this. Which No time. No time. I'm hitting accept. The footy's on. <laughs> no time. On, get the TV on. Get, yeah, get out of the way. And what he saw in that was that, you know, the microphone of that TV is always on, even when the TV is off, listening, which is feeding their data profile on you so that they can serve you targeted ads and always on. And that's where they've put it in the hardware, which comes into your home. Like, I mean, I will never bring a, a Google Home or a, one of those devices in for this reason, because the point of what they're trying to do is collect data on you to serve that advertising machine. And, you know, you might be comfortable with that and that's your choice. That's fine. But I, I call bullshit on that. But that's in the devices. Like your phone absolutely is built for this purpose. The platforms are built for this purpose. Like they're built to engage you so that they can do two things, collect more data from you and serve you ads. That's it. Okay. I just need a moment here. To <laughs> <laughs> just Because I, you think about it, it's like, would you allow someone from, I don't know, Channel 10, where I work, to sit in your house and listen to, or just put a microphone in your house and listen live to everything that happens in your home so that when you watch MasterChef, we'll make sure that you get really good ads. Would you say yes to that? You probably would say no to that. Yeah. But that's what you're saying yes to when you click accept. And maybe that's kind of it. It's like the difference between human there and us knowing, those of us who know that this goes on, I mean, there are people involved in the process, but largely it's just feeding a machine, right? There isn't a human listening in. It's all just feeding into an algorithm. Maybe that's a bit of comfort. I'm not sure. <laughs> I find that more terrifying. But, oh, but. yeah. Look, I know that I was once demonstrated a speech-to-text AI deep fake voice app, which used, I think it only needed about 45 minutes of my speaking to learn how to speak like me. And hmm. someone sent me the file uh, of something I never said. And it sounded like, I don't remember recording that. No, you don't remember recording that because you never did. That was an AI that needed only about 45 minutes of my voice that they'd harvested off this podcast. So when I think about the amount of machine learning and just AI, just like rivers of data points being fed into AI machines to learn how humans interact, it terrifies me. So I do want to ask, we've already kind of painted the picture of like, wow, hammers are really bad. People are going everywhere, killing everyone with hammers. This is really frightening. We don't know how to stop it. So, Chris, tell me, what the fuck do we do? <laughs> what do we do? I still need my phone. I still need email. I still need to use the internet to function in a modern society. I, I still believe in the benefits of this incredibly connected world that we live in. I still believe that it can help us transcend this terrifying moment in history where we need to come together as one to face a, an emergency around climate. And we're going to need it as a tool to help us there. So what do we do? What's the thing that we can do here, mate? There's a few different things we need to do. We need to do a lot of things and we need to do them all. The first bit is we need to break down some of the myths that we've come to believe. One is that this is the way the internet has to be. This is what the big tech companies want us to believe that like, this is the trade-off, all of your privacy for sweet, sweet convenience. And that's just fundamentally not true. And there's a bunch of reasons why that's not true. But the way to address that is, I think, through a few different things. One is we need better policy. I'll get into that. We need better competition around better tech. And we need media and digital literacy, or at least more engaged uh, and conscious users. So it's acknowledging that I think we, you need to have the rules and regulations, the guardrails, which incentivize better behavior and which also incentivize our better behavior. But we also need to come at it from, you can regulate all you want. If you're not changing the way that people are thinking about the platforms or using the platforms, I don't think you're really going to make good progress. You need to do both. And I think there's positive signs on all of this, on each of these pillars. The competition one I would kind of go through first. The current stoush between Apple and Facebook is a product of Apple having seen the light. Like they're not perfect, but they've seen that privacy is really important and it's a competitive edge for them and that this is going to be increasingly profitable for them to paint themselves differently to the other companies. And I think that's working. And I think that 
people will recognize that also because they're selling it better. Are you talking incredible. about that? The new OS for iPhones, etc., says they need to ask if they can track me. Windows yeah. do it automatically. Yeah. Right. That's exactly it. And so, you know, the other piece of that is that, of course, is like you've still got to choose ask app not to track rather than it's fine. And to be able to do that, you need to know that the performance of those apps is not going to be significantly worsened by saying, do not track me. It's not in their business model. It's not in their interests to give you a shittier performing app or experience. So click ask app to not track, like hit that button. And so it kind of just highlights that we still need people to be thinking differently about it. We do need people, you know, like, so all the problems we're talking about today are human problems that are worsened and inflamed by these platforms, right? There's very, very little within there that they've created. They, you know, they, Facebook didn't create racism in America. It took the systemic racism, which exists there, and inflamed it, brought into new dimensions that have made it, fuck knows how they come through this polarization that Facebook has fostered to, to solve some of those problems. Yeah, I think they're doing it, but the point is Facebook didn't create that. It just made it worse and it made the solutions harder. So we need people to kind of be more conscious consumers and users, and we need to equip people with the information and the tools to be able to do that. That's it's hard, particularly, I think, for parents who are concerned about the way that they, their children are being you know, addicted to platforms, manipulated by these platforms. It's just like one more thing you've got to throw on your list of things you need to care about, and I don't think that's fair, particularly when it's all happening by companies that are now the biggest and richest in the world just about. That's fucked. That's not fair. So there needs to be a reckoning. And so to rein in those companies, you just need regulation. We need regulation that comes in the form of working the public interest that doesn't stifle innovation, but just make sure that these technologies are working for us. And there's a whole suite of things that are being proposed in Europe, in the UK, which start to chip away at this. There is no silver bullet to it, but you know, start with children and teenagers' data and say, hey, you know, we're not comfortable with these foreign companies surveilling, tracking, building deep data profiles and then selling access to those profiles to advertisers of our children and teenagers. Like, we're not comfortable with that and we should stop that. That's a really easy first step for us to make. It's already happening in the UK. Ireland are looking at the same thing. Other countries are all proposing the same thing. We're working on it here. That does a considerable amount to start to pull the rug out from under these companies, to put the responsibility back onto them and say, if you want to have young people on your platform, you've got to make it safe and it's on you. And if you don't do it, the punishment will be severe. It's quite quite easy. But then there's, you know, I think there's a there's a range of other approaches too. We need to like address the way that uh, these platforms facilitate mental health issues in young people. That's part of content problem. That's part of user problem, all enabled by, by the platforms themselves. We need to start thinking about having better oversight over the way that they curate content because we don't have any oversight over, over that. And this is not a solution. It's just, like, I think, a first step to a solution to say, we don't know how the algorithms are really designed. And all we know is that they optimize for engagement. That's it. So... There's a suite of things we can do to kind of start our way on this process, but it's complex and it's going to take it's going to take a lot of political leadership. Just taking a moment away from Chris to maybe play another ad. We'll see. You might get lucky or not, depending on the algorithms, depending on what you've been watching and, and looking at and what pixels have been left on your phone. And um, I just also wanted to let you know about New Mind New Podcast with James Matheson. It's called Idol Australians. If you're really young, you may not realize that I used to be on a TV show called Australian Idol with James Matheson, and he and I have stayed mates the whole time. And we have started to make a podcast again together, which I love. I love working with him every week. He's a great friend, has been for years, and I'm grateful to have the kind of conversations that he and I have with other people being able to hear them. He's such a cool guy. And uh, we did this episode the other day all about how You're the Voice, the Australian national anthem, You're the Voice, became a hit in Greece, in Greek. Idol Australians with James and Asha. What sort of nation that has You're the Voice under a Milky Way and, of course, ACDC. Long way to the top. All with bagpipes doesn't teach their kids... The bagpipes. It's a failure of the education system in a great nation. 100%.
It should be mandatory. Idle Australians with James and Nasha. You can find Idle Australians where you find your podcast, I-D-L-E Australians. Just look for that. Now, you might hear an ad right now. You might not. In a second, we'll be back to the show with Chris. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. To make um to, to make another uh, you know parallel to the automotive industry, yes, I get what you're saying around that it's up to individual users to change their behaviour, but I don't think downstream solutions they can make a difference, but not quick enough. I personally think upstream solutions are the things that that need to happen. For example, seatbelts didn't make everyone a better driver, but when the government got together and said if you want to sell a car in Australia, it needs to have a seatbelt, like mm. radio. You know, then you work on the user behavior. It's like, okay, now there's a fine if you don't use a seatbelt. And we all accept that. Like, and, and similar to, you know, we have standards for automotive vehicles in this country. Like the brakes have to be able to do a certain thing. The windshield has to shatter a certain way. It's got to have this. It's got to have airbags. It's got to have, there's so many safety things involved if you want to sell a car in Australia. If it doesn't have those things, that's fine, but you can't sell it here. And when you buy that car, you have the confidence of like, okay, well, it's got a five-star safety rating or some cars have a seven-star safety rating. So it's not like the precedent doesn't exist to deal with massive companies that have enormous, like if we didn't have cars, our economy would be completely fucked. All right. I'm not saying we need to live the life without no cars, but we're going, no, no, no. We just demand a safer thing. I'm a big fan of advocating and contacting your MP. I've done it on this show. I did it live with my, not live, we recorded it, but I've done it with my local MP. Elections looming. What do people need to let their MPs know about this issue? Just just to go back on what you just said there, I 100% agree. It's why the work that we do at Reset is focused entirely on the policy side. We need those upstream solutions. Absolutely. That's where the priority needs to be. I think we need the suite of things to happen to see real systemic change, but um, could not agree more. We need to change the way that the business model operates and the way that these companies operate. Totally. I think that it's really important to engage your MP. I think that people undervalue the impact it has when you, even when you send a letter, um, but when you go and try and, you know, call your MP and, and ask to meet, like they will do that and it takes up their time and they have to sit there and listen to you. Because it's their fucking job. <laughs> and fuck them if they don't do it. Like, you know, tell that story. Look, it's complex, but I think that our MPs are being asked to take on the biggest, most powerful companies in the world they need the backing of public support. They need to know that they can take on these companies, take this fight on, and that you're behind them. And I think that you should speak to it through any one of the lenses that you want to, but it's got to be the answer is regulate these motherfuckers and do it because my children are addicted or my teenagers slipping into like extremism and I'm seeing that or I'm seeing polarization in my own community and I, we can't have, we, we, we're not solving complex issues or I read a report and it said that there was disinformation campaigns being run that's distorting the climate narrative. Any number of things, like, there's a way into this from just about every issue sector. Let's talk about it from, like, the impact on marginalised and vulnerable communities. Like, the experience of women online, the experience of other ethnic groups online is orders of magnitude worse than it is for me as a white man. That's the kind of shit that is inflamed by these platforms and needs to be addressed. And that's the way we should be talking about this as well. But find the bit of this issue that matters to you the most go and watch the social dilemma it's not perfect but it helps to articulate some of these issues and find the bit that matters to you most go and meet your mp and say regulate these motherfuckers (laughs) 
I read a book by uh, an early investor in Facebook, a guy by the name of Roger McNamee. I read a book called Zucked. He does show up in that film, uh, The Social mm. Dilemma. When a bloke who's got jillions of dollars of skin in the game is going, this is bad, and I'm kind of coming on the record saying how bad this is, you should probably listen when someone whose very investment is at stake, when he can see how his money is going to go down the tube if it doesn't change. So since I read that book, I did things like I only use start page to search. I only use Apple Maps, even though, you know, it sometimes takes me in a different direction because it's not working yeah. on the same algorithms that Google Maps or Waze, which is similar things, use. Like there's some changes that I've made that don't really impact me that much. Took Facebook off my phone. I, I took Instagram off my phone. I took Twitter off my phone. And my life is pretty good because of it. Because I'm not constantly being, I started to frame it like this, Chris. Every time I felt an emotional response to something that I saw on Twitter, I'm like, I've just made the money. Fuck. You know, and that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. What, what are some things that we can do to protect ourselves, protect our families between now and when this regulation comes in? So there's a bunch of things. Firstly, Roger's a friend of Reset and he he's awesome. And, you know, I think the other bit that his story that he was, he was like a, personal confidant of Zuckerberg himself, right? And he saw the inside and he saw how fucked it is. And he's, you know, he's extracted himself from that. And now he's an advocate. For he it. mentored Zuckerberg from the day that Google offered him a billion dollars for the company to the day that Facebook went and launched to an IPO. And so things you can do. I think that there's some basic things that just help chip away at this. One is there's a bunch of browsers out there that stop tracking. Um, Brave is one. It's the one that I use. I think that you can peel yourself off these platforms as best you can. Like I turn off notifications more and more because, you know, I'm very conscious. I have a two-year-old and he sees us all the time on our phones and it's fucked. And we're on the phones because we get notifications. That's just constantly pulling that back and that's imprinting on him. And so there's a bunch of things you can do to just kind of, I think like you've done, I should do like kind of just peel yourself off it, um, remove apps that you don't need on the phone, but you might use on the laptop. There's all these little, little things. And I think it's also just like switch on that critical thinking piece when you're browsing and recognize when it's not making you feel good. You're just in that mindless scroll zone and then get off it. You don't do the hard work to get off it, but the browsers is the first start point. Stop the tracking, stop the surveilling. That hurts them slowly but surely. The more of us who do it, the better. Start using Signal instead of WhatsApp. There's a bunch of things, all of which won't matter unless that regulation comes. But I'm conscious of saying, like, by the way, democracy is burning and the world's fucked. Just sit tight while we sort the, the policy thing out. I know that's not fair. So these are the things that most of our team and people who work in our, our kind of sector do and think about. What can we do about news? How do we see what is happening in the world without falling down this tube of like, I'm only seeing things that are catered to me, my electric vehicle self who only eats plants. <laughs> to make, make me feel better about my life choices. Yeah, yeah. I lose that bubble thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, the, the problem with news media is real. And like traditional publishers have been suffering because they lent into the same sensational engagement metrics before the platforms really stole the rest of their advertising revenue, right? It's clickbait headlines. But that, that used to be the problem. And so the responsibility on publishers to be producing measured, contextual, reliable, trustworthy news is more important than ever. And I have not a whole ton of faith in a, in a bunch of our publishers to, to do that. But I think it's, you know, the, the medium through which you consume things is so important. It's knowing that your Facebook newsfeed your YouTube recommended videos and your Twitter feed are really terrible places to get informed about anything because it's not balanced. It's built to keep you engaged and nothing else. So I think you know, we need to support locally owned media and that means like paying for some of it if you can. But I also think that that medium is important. And so if you go to the ABC News website, what you're seeing there is, yes, part of that is about what are the stories that most people have clicked on today? They're up top. But it's also there's also editorial decisions done by people who understand that responsibility. Maybe they don't live up to it all the time, but they certainly do it more than the Facebook algorithm ever does. And it presents you with a range of news stories that you can go and have a look at 
but do that and read the Australian. I don't know, get a balanced view. Like there's the argument around what's biased and what's not will forever be with us. But so you should always have more than one news source. And like, I don't know, Murdoch is a problem, certainly. Too much concentration, that's not good for democracy ever. But I do think that you should get, like most Australians read Murdoch papers. So you should understand and think about what they're consuming, get a mix. You know, I think that's really all you can do on this. Mate, I'm so grateful that you are doing the work that you do because I think this is one of the big fights of our future for our future is based in this. We are we are literally fighting to make sure that we see the world as it is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, climate change is the issue of our time and the way that this these problems influence our progress on that are, are real. And so I think it intersects with every issue that you can be concerned about. In some way, this is influencing it and it's creating new issues. So I think it's really important. Man, I'm so grateful for you and um, thanks heaps for taking the time today, Chris. I really appreciate it. No worries. I appreciate the time, Osha. It's been great. And that was Chris Cooper. You can find out more about Reset Australia at au.reset.tech. And he's on Twitter if you care to find him there. After that conversation, you may not want to go. Uh, it's uh, Cooper underscore CN. That's where you can find him. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm really grateful that you're a part of it. If you want to find me, send us your email at gmail.com. If this show brought you value, the best thing you can do for me is to tell somebody and let another person know about how to download it, how to subscribe, and how to listen. Thanks heaps for being a part of it. I'll see you on Thursday for Idle Australians. Until we speak then, sleep well. Dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.